Hello, I'm Pastor Rob Spencer of Church United. We are excited because God is at work in our community of Christ followers. And it is my hope that God works in your life as you listen to this message today. If you'd like more information about Church United, please visit us at churchunited.family. Good morning, family. I don't know how often you stop to think about what a wonderful privilege that is, that we're all members of the family of God, and we're family. Praise God. This morning's service will be a little different, because I'm going to be doing two things. Brother Rob has us in a series of sermons, and I'll hold to that. But I also want to share with you my testimony or at least the testimony that's brought me here. But opening, though, I want us to turn to Matthew chapter 25, verse 10, 14. Can you get that, guys, up there? <clears throat> Strange little parable. A lot, of, uh, a lot of people have misunderstood. A lot of things, discussions about this. Parable of the Talents is called, starting in verse 14, chapter 25 of Matthew. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them, and to one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two talents gained two more. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents, and look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered unto me two talents, and look, I have gained two more talents besides them. And the Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. And look, there you have what is yours. But the Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. I'll stop there. 
<laughs> You'll get a kick out of it. I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> not, not right now, anyway. We'll get back to it. I want to share with you some of who I am and how maybe that can relate to some of who you are. I was not raised in a Christian home, far from it. As a matter of fact, my father just really, really had a hatred for Christians and Bible. But I had a grandmother who loved me and loved the Lord, and my grandmother would take me to church with her. And when I was 12 years old in a Sunday school class, I received Jesus as my Savior. I had no influence at home, and I got to church once in a while with my grandmother, but my high school years were filled pretty much with just trying to be a good boy, wanting to be a Christian, get any real learning or encouragement. But when I was 18 years old, a year out of high school in a little tiny country church way out in West Texas, I believed God was calling me into the ministry. So I took off and went to Howard Payne College in Brownwood, Texas, which is a Baptist-supported Bible college. Got a job, got two jobs, got three jobs, all separated, and I worked all the time. And I got through a summer semester, took a few good courses, and I went through the, set, uh, the fall semester. But at the end of the fall semester, you had to have the money to be able to go into the next semester. This was a long time before there was any such thing as a student loan. I'm talking about 1958. There was no student loans. And I tried. I contacted people. I tried to do things to try to borrow money in addition to what I was making to keep me in school. But the bottom line was I had to drop out of school. I went my way. Went out to California, met a girl, just fell in love with her. She was not a Christian. She was not of the Christian faith. Her family was from a different religion. And so we just didn't go to church. She wouldn't go to mine, and I wouldn't go to hers. Years passed. Children were born. I didn't learn anything. I just didn't go to church. I didn't study my Bible. I didn't learn anything. I didn't know anything. But somewhere along the line, I came across a verse. Luke 9.62. Don't remember now when or how that came about. But Luke 9.62 says, He who sets his hand to the plow and looks back, is no longer worthy of the kingdom of God. Boy, I took that to heart. I was taking a verse out of context, serious thing, but I didn't know it then. I simply read those words. So I felt that, that God didn't want anything to do with me anymore. And I went through the next 15 or 20 years with that. And life began to slip further and further and further away from God. Sin entered my life, into my family's life. I slipped into a place that I can best describe as heartbreak and darkness. 
just darkness. My marriage fell apart. And as things were progressing downward, my conscience would often speak to me. God speaks to us in our conscience. But I kept coming back to the fact, well, God, don't, it don't make any difference. I'll never see the kingdom of God. God hates me. God doesn't want anything to do with me. I set my hands to the plow and I didn't follow through. And there's no hope for me. Change scene for you a little bit. Talking about the inside of an old jail. Big jail. Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Time with old bars. Overcrowded. And one man, or one morning, a man came into that jail on a Saturday morning. He wasn't dressed like the guards and he wasn't dressed like the inmates. He had on street clothes and he was carrying one of these. And he walked up to the bars and pointed through the bars. Really he was pointing at no one in particular, just whoever would pay attention to him. And he said, may I pray with you? And I said, I guess so. And I went up to the bars, and as I approached the bars, he said to me, you know, you haven't been too bad to be forgiven. And I said, yes, sir, I have. And he said, no, you haven't. And I said, yes, I have. But you see, he was referring to the sin that had put me in jail. And I knew that was just sin. I knew Jesus had paid for that. I knew that that could be, forgovered, uh, be forgiven. I didn't have any real question about that. But I wasn't worthy of the kingdom of God. There was no hope for me. That was in my heart. And I explained that to Jesse Bassnight's his name. He's gone to be with the Lord now. I'm talking about that was in August of 1985. And Jesse Bassnight stood there, understood where I was, and opened his word and began to teach me and show me that I was wrong and that God did still love me and that I could be forgiven. And there in front of 24 men in that cell, tears started rolling down my eyes, and, and I was so glad to find out that God forgive me when I had lived all these years thinking that there was no hope, I wanted to know more. I wanted to know more. And, and, and in those cells, there's these little booklets that look like little comic books. That pictures of the cross on them and stuff. In this particular jail, it was full of these little booklets that were put out by Source of Light Ministries out of Madison, Georgia. Pray for them. Praise God the job that they're doing with those little booklets that looked like comic books. I began to read every one of them I could get my hands on. And I asked a friend who was on the outside, that's what we call it, outside and inside, see if I could get a Bible. And so this friend got me this Bible. I'm holding it. This is the one. It's called the book. It was the Living Translation. It had just come out. Hadn't been out very long. She got this for me in August. In 1985, I have on the flyer, you ought to see this thing. It's marked up all over it. I just marked this thing all up. 
I devoured it. I have written here, finished, cover to cover, November 27, 1985. In less than three months, I had gone through this cover to cover, and I was wanting more, begging for more, anything more. That same friend went to a church and talked this church into supplying more Bible studies for me, which I did. Now I want to fast forward again a few months. It's springtime, and I'm in prison. And for some reason, I was pretty much by myself on a sunny morning, out on the walkway, with nobody around me, and the sun was shining. There's grass and flowers. Something welled up in me. I was just so elated to feel forgiven. I was free. I was behind razor wire and gun towers, but for the first time in years, I was happy, and I was free, and I wanted to dance on that sidewalk. I was free. What God had put in me, what was welling up within me is determined by one word, joy. For the first time in years, I'd been living in blackness, hurt and pain, family gone. Stayed away from a family that was in Texas. and I hid from them. I didn't want them to know what my life turned into. And all of a sudden, I've got joy. Now, remember what we read about the talents? As I stood there on that sidewalk, filled with joy to the point that I wanted to dance. God spoke to me. I'm careful about using that terminology because I see it oftentimes so abused. God told me this and God told me that, and sometimes you don't have to know a whole lot to know that didn't come from God. But God does speak to us, brothers and sisters, we talk about it in this class over here. Speak to you in your conscience. Well, if you, want to, if you want to test that, just start thinking about doing something wrong and God through your conscience is going to holler, don't, don't go there. Then we learn something else. We learn that when we're saved, we're not only put in Jesus so that we're seen by Almighty God in Jesus and when he looks upon us, he sees us through the blood of the veil. We're in Jesus. Then we come to other scriptures, uh, scriptures that tell us that Jesus now is in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. God speaks to us in our heart. So I can't tell you that God spoke to me in audible words, but I can tell you that in my heart I knew exactly what God was saying. I'm almost to the place of dancing I was so overjoyed. And God said, what are you going to do about it? I've been talking about Jesse Bassnight to the Lord. I've been saying, thank you for Jesse Bassnight. Thank you for this wonderful gift. Thank you. And God's saying, what are you going to do with this gift? What are you going to do with it? My question to you this morning is, who's Jesse Bassnight in your life? If we're 
everyone, every person in this room that's a born-again believer, you did not get there by yourself. There was a Jesse Bass night in your life, or might have been several. Parent, grandparent, Sunday school teacher, co-worker, the lady next door. But people had to do with you coming to the Lord. Might have just been a preacher. Might have been a good old Rob preaching a lesson. And God grabbed your heart. But I want you to think about two things. Number one is you need to be mighty thankful that someone yielded to God's command to come to you and talk to you and show you the love and goodness and forgiveness that was available to you through the shed blood of Jesus Christ Thank God for the Jesse Bass night in your life. And then, think about the joy and speak. We're talking about Christmas and, and life. <laughs> I lived through at least 20 years, and the last 15 were horrible. Years of darkness, horrible pain, being rejected, unloved. And yet somebody brought light. That's what Jesse did. Jesse was an instrument of God to bring me sunshine, relief, forgiveness, and joy. And that's what I want to say to you is the same thing that God was saying to me. What are you going to do with this gift that's been given to you? Are you going to invest it in someone's life so that you've gained a talent and invest it then in someone else's life so that you gain another? Or are you going to take the, God, the gift that God has given you and bury it like this lazy servant? That's, that's where most people go. Moving forward a little bit, to an August morning in 1988, Thursday morning, and I was released from prison. I was released from prison on a bright, sunny, beautiful Florida Thursday morning. Two days later, Saturday morning, I was back in jail. But this time I was the guy in the street clothes carrying the Bible and walking into men and saying, praise God. Saying, you know, you haven't been too bad to be forgiven. And that's my line that I use to this day. Folks, August of 1988 was 31 years ago. 31 years and later, I and John Bassett and soon-to-be Mae Beasley and, and Pete Skelton, we're going in to this jail and we're going in there saying, you know, you haven't been too bad to be forgiven. And we have messages beyond that because we're not interested just, we're not interested just in saving their soul and having them come to the Lord, although that's primary and key to everything, we're interested in what's going to happen after. So we come in with a message that says who you've been 
ain't who you've got to be. And it's never too late to be what you might have been. Because our ministry at Broward County Jail, I'm not sure I'm reading that right. Rob, how long does it say I've got? I've got 10 minutes. Is that what it say? Praise God. Pretty good. As we have ministered in this jail, and most of you and a lot of you know about the class that I teach right over here called Firm Foundations. <clears throat> That's a class that I wrote not long after I was out of prison. I guess I've got time. I'll tell you a little bit about the fact that after I was out of prison, only a few months, the church hired me. The church that had helped me by paying for me to take the Schofield course from Moody Bible Institute while I was in prison. Tell you something else about that day when I was dancing on the sidewalk. Up until that time, and studying in this book, <laughs> praise God for the book, I was studying to, and as it should be, I was working on my relationship with God. I was studying to find out what I needed to know. God said something else to me that morning on the sidewalk. When he was saying to me, what are you going to do with this gift? I was like, I don't know. God said to me, look around you. I did. He said, you're seeing razor wire and gun towers. Look again. You're surrounded by men who need to hear you say you have not been too bad to be forgiven. So from that day forward on the three years that I remained in prison, <laughs> filled with joy. I'd see guys walking with this dark cloud over their head, a little character, you know what I'm talking about. And I'd walk up to those guys, and I'd say, are we having fun yet? They'd look at me like, are you crazy? We're in prison. And before long, they'd ask me the reason for the joy in my life. It's like, you're in here with us and you're, you're full of joy. Yeah, yeah, I am. Let me tell you why. When I was hired by that church not long after I got out of prison, <clears throat> they hired me, first of all, to take charge of the custodial maintenance department. Right after that, the pastor asked me to take over their outreach ministries. I had people coming to me for counseling. I didn't turn trained as a counselor, but they were coming to me anyway. Same thing had happened in prison. I was always ministering to guys while I was in prison. This church and this pastor loved me and believed in me enough to send me back to school sent me for a long series of weekend seminars with the Institute for Biblical Counseling and paid for me to get an education in how to counsel people from the Bible. They put me in charge of pastoral care. I was in charge of outreach ministries as an outreach pastor. I, I developed a halfway house for people coming out of prison. Started a food and clothing ministry we call Tabitha's Closet, and on and on. And the pastor <clears throat> wanted to make me his assistant. 
the church wouldn't allow it because of my past, because I'd been in prison. So he just went around that and called me assistant to the pastor. That didn't require him being ordained. One day in a staff meeting, the pastor wanted to know why was the church so full of people, yet every time we went to launch a ministry or do something, we were hurting for volunteers. Why do we not have people working in the ministry? I can say it's certainly different here. I can tell you this, that, that as small as this church is, there's most of you are busy. This was a people church with a thousand people in it, and, and you looked hard to find somebody between Sunday and Saturday. So if pastor asked everybody at this staff meeting to tell him why they thought that that, um, that that was true, that it was what he called a spectator sport. And so I told him, I said, I think that the biggest reason is that the people don't feel competent. They're afraid if they get involved with the ministry, somebody's going to ask them questions that they wouldn't have answers for, and they feel incompetent to serve. He said, what would you do about that? I said, I think as a church, we need to be teaching a class that teaches people the basics of Christianity. He said, okay, you teach it. <laughs> okay. Then he said, no, I said, he said, he said, go ahead and do that. And I said, well, if I do that, can I incorporate into this some of what I've been learning about counseling and how the Bible relates to people problems? And he's going, yeah, I think that'd be a good idea. Where, where, where would you get such a curriculum? And I said, I don't know, Brother Don. He says, I do. You write it. We had on staff a doctor. Dr. Sherry Dennis, she was in charge of our educational department. Now, remember, a church of a thousand people, we had Sunday schools all over the place. She was the person in charge of that. So he turned to her and he said, Sherry, I want you to look over everything that he's written. He said, I'm not asking you to correct, critique his literary skill. He said, I'm not asking you to critique the way he talks. He's from Texas. He talks different than the rest of us anyway. He said, well, I want, to make, want you to make sure that everything he writes is biblically sound. The result of that was a class we call Firm Foundations. I taught that class for the next five and a half years at that church. By the way, that pastor died, and when he did, the church fell apart, and I was no longer <coughs> employed by church. But that's the class that I teach here, and that's the class that we teach at jail. It has had such success in reaching men, turning their lives, helping them know how to work, walk with Christ, helping them want to work, walk with Christ on the outside. That the jail finally came to me and said, would I be willing to teach more than once a week? And so that's where we're at, and that's how this New Leaf Ministries came about. Until a few months ago, it was just me. But then Jesse, or Jesse, John Bassett joined me. And opening up these doors of jail, they want to open up for us to teach the same thing on the women's side because it's had such success. So May Beasley is going to start teaching on the women's side. 
And in January, we don't know how many doors will be open, and we're also looking at going into the two nearest prisons. We needed to have our own entity because we needed people to be able to donate to the ministry, and it's got, it was just too much to be able to come to this one little church and say, will you donate and take care of us as a ministry that needs to get as big as it's going to get. I know that we're on the verge of God doing something. We're not going to be just teaching men anymore. We're going to start going to their families. We want to be... Can you imagine the hardship of a young mother of two or three children trying to make ends meet when her husband's in jail? Oftentimes what we wind up with is... is they lose the house. Children go to grandparents or foster care. We need a place so that when people do come out of incarceration, whether it's a male or a female, when they come out of incarceration, we've got a church that will adopt them, a place where they can go. And it might not be this church because not everybody lives in Staten, but we want to be able to work with churches all over this area and help them form support groups and, and want to and desire to be able to accept these people as they come out of incorporation, try to put their lives on the right path and come back into the family of God. We want to be able to help these families who don't have enough money for gas to get back and forth to work because their loved one's locked up. There's help that needs to be. That's, that's what we're doing. I want to ask you this. As you go out, you find a piece of paper like this laying there and it tells you I'm almost out of time. I'm down 26 seconds. I'm doing good. <laughs> Folks, if you can see what God can do because one person shares the joy. Jesse Bassnight evidently had a whole lot of joy in his heart for him to ever walk into a big old dirty cell and carrying a Bible one person can make a difference in hundreds of lives. In 31 years, how many men do you reckon I've touched? I don't know. God knows. I don't have a clue. But I know this. We're carrying on God's work with God's Word. We're not going to stop now. This ministry is going to grow. We're going to do good things. My question to you is would you help us? <laughs>